Welcome to the Hobby of a Lifestyle podcast, a show that looks at how our passions impact lives and drive career choices. I'm Andy Gray, a former national and world champion kickboxer. During my shows, I'll be talking with athletes, coaches, fans and more as I delve into their world to find out what inspired them on their journey. Welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. This week, I am joined by not one, but two Cirque du Soleil performers. This year, my family and I were very fortunate we got to visit Orlando. And in previous years, we've always went to see the Cirque du Soleil show that's on at Disney Springs. This being our first visit post-pandemic, there's a new show drawn to life. And naturally, we as a family wanted to go and see that. So we went to see Drawn to Life. And if you're out in Orlando, please go and see the show. It's absolutely phenomenal. And at the end of it, two gentlemen... David Rimmer and Saulo Sarmiento kindly took their time to get their pictures taken with our little girls and have a chat with us. And they were both absolutely incredible in the show. They are amazing performers, as is everyone. But they've kindly came onto the podcast to share their journey. So let's find out the whole story. David, Saulo, welcome to Hobby of a Lifestyle. How are you both today? Hi. Oh, good. Thank yeah. you for having us. Oh, no, thank you very much for coming on. You know, we were just talking prior to this, and my little girls are very, very excited. But listeners won't, won't understand why they're excited. Do you just want to tell the audience and listeners what you both do for a profession? So we uh, we work for Cirque du Soleil. Uh, we're currently in Orlando in Disney World doing the new production called Drawn to Life. Wow. Uh, I personally do an acrobatic discipline called teeterboard, which is kind of like a seesaw, and we have a guy on either side of the board, and we we do flips. Wow. And I do the aerial pencil act, which is uh, as as it says, it's an aerial pencil, and I can draw with it. And but it's actually a flying pole, so I can fly with that and make some acrobatics and figures in the in the flying pole. But um, it's dressed as, a, as a, an aerial pencil. It's yeah, I mean, when you describe that, uh, I mean, both of you, the fact that one jumps around on a seesaw and one flies around on a flying pencil, there must be people listening thinking, how on earth do you even get into that? And I'll apologise about this light that I've got going on. I'm in the darkest room with the worst light ever. Anyway, getting back to it. So go back to the beginning. So, David, where did you grow up? So I come from a small town just outside outside of Liverpool called Southport. Okay. Um, I was a men's artistic gymnast first uh, for 17 years. Then I left gymnastics and I went to trampoline instead. And I did trampoline for about two years. Uh, and um, I kind of finished my career with trampoline and I moved to Cirque du Soleil after that. Wow. You did an audition. Yeah. Okay. I did an audition in Paris with, with Cirque. So I flew to Paris for two days for the weekend. And it's like a two-day two audition. And they just kind of go through a lot of artistic things and they record all the different things that you can do on a trampoline and gymnastics-wise. And they keep that as a log. Wow. And then you get put on the database of Cirque. And if they have a position, then they'll contact you. Okay. Really interesting stuff. There's a few things I definitely want to come back to. But Saulo, over to you. And where did you grow up as a kid? Well, my story is a bit different. I'm from the Canary Islands. At uh, the time, we didn't have a lot of things there in the Canary Islands, like gymnastic-wise. But my dream was always to be a performer at Cirque du Soleil since I watched uh, a Cirque du Soleil DVD called, uh, well, from a show, Allegria, and then 
I get obsessed with that as a kid. I was 12 and I, wow. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a performer on that, on that show. And then I tried to, I tried different things, tried to um, get a little bit of everything like gymnastics, but in the Canary Islands, it was not strong thing, the gymnastics. Then I moved to dance and then I moved to uh, inside the, the dance studio where I was uh, learning from, it was a girl teaching silks. So I tried to go there and then I discovered that I was very good at aerials and that was my thing. So uh, I, from there with this little mix of background, I started to move around Circus Company. Fun fact, I did the same audition as David, I think it was in 2011 in Paris. 2010. 2010 in Paris, but we did it in different uh, disciplines because he went as a gymnast and I went as a circus artist with a mm. with an act. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't n- we didn't know this until two years ago. That oh, we really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. So you kind of always destined to cross paths and yeah, yeah. performing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, absolutely phenomenal. So you're talking about the fact that there wasn't really much on the island in the in, in the Canary Islands where, where you were. So you kind of had to dot around and find something. At what level of silks did you get where you thought, I'm, I now need to progress? Because obviously I, I, my little girls have tried aerial hoop and they've tried the silks over here in England. And I understand the instructors are all at different levels. And I'm sure you must have got to a level where it was like, I really now need to progress and go somewhere different. Sir, and I was learning a lot by myself after watching videos. At the time, it was not Instagram, no social media. Yeah. But I watched a lot of videos where I could. DVDs, also YouTube was a thing there, so I could see a little bit there. And then I moved to Madrid. As soon as I got uh, to 18, I moved to Madrid and I moved all over Madrid trying to find classes everywhere. And then I got a scholarship in one of the companies and then I was working for the company and it was people with more level there. From there, I jumped to Paris and the same thing. They give me a scholarship in Paris in another company and I was working for the company. And after that, I ju- I never stopped working. I never yeah, stopped yeah. working from company to company to f- freelance with my own act. And I was actually very lucky. What What did your family think back home when you said, I'm, I'm packing up and I'm going to Madrid at 18 to kind of pursue this career of working in the circus? Or well, they a, knew, a performance? They knew that I was very determined yeah, from yeah. everything. So they knew that they couldn't stop me. So they support me. They support me in a way that, they were always telling me, yeah, but do something else in case of, have a plan yeah, B. Yeah, yeah, and course. I did. I studied at the university in Madrid because, you know, circus is a very difficult career. You can yeah. succeed or not. Yeah, of course. And I was always thinking, okay, maybe it's not true. Maybe, maybe it won't happen. Maybe it's too difficult. Maybe I'm not for this. So I was always having a plan B because I'm always planning. And yeah. that could be a value. That could be a default. I don't know. But I was planning to have something else and my family was okay because I was having this plan B and but when they see that I can really go for a circus career and I I'm going really well they would, yeah they're very proud now yeah well I bet they are David kind of same thing for you because you know 10 years well what was it 12 years ago now you auditioned for circus so how old did that make you uh, I was 20 at the time, just 20. 20. Right, so it's yeah. young, young as well. I mean, was university something that you did or was it just a case of uh, you were always trying to perform? I, I, was, I wasn't very academic. Me neither, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I found it really hard in school. Um, 
and then I, I basically got into a university because I was in the Great Britain team and it was it was kind of it was through sports yeah that I of got course. Into so I went I went to uh uni for like four weeks I tried to do a sports coaching degree and I was just right. like I can't I can't sit there for hours on end and have someone just continuously talking yeah, to yeah. me within like an hour I needed to stand up and I needed to do something physical so Wow. Um, so in the end, I left. <laughs> when you say you're yeah, on the GB team, then so you GB team for gymnastics or for trampoline? Uh, tramp, trampoline, DMT, double mini wow. tramp. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, pretty impressive. World. How did yeah. you get on? How did you get on at Europeans and Worlds? Uh, I mean, it was my first ever international competition, so it wasn't really the best. Yeah. Um, and I was still very young as well, so. Yeah, yeah. It, it was kind of it was kind of weird because I did gymnastics for 17 years, men's artistic, and it was kind of at like a, a national level. Yeah. And then when I moved to trampoline, I kind of skipped some of the grades. Right. Okay. Um, because I already had that uh that level. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of everything happened really fast. I did wow. the, the British Nationals and then I got um in British Nationals, I was the first ever person to do uh, two triples. Wow. Um, and then it escalated from that to going to Europeans, and then from Europeans I went to Wales, and that was all within like two years. Wow, what a journey! Yeah, so it was, it was all very fast. Yeah, yeah. But then really- I was kind of like, I was hitting twenty, and I was kind of like, I need to kind of do something with my life. You know, there's not a lot of opportunities in the trampoline world. Um, no, I can imagine. Yeah, and then there was there was actually they have the talent scouts that go to the international competitions from Cirque. Right. Okay. Um, so you can go and you can talk to them and say, you know, what you would like to do in the future and things like that. Um, yeah. So then in the end, I just spoke to them and I started looking at a career in Cirque. And then that's when they asked me to go to the audition in France. Wow. It's it's quite a phenomenal. I mean, did you, did was it something that you'd ever expected your life to go in that direction? Because, you know, Saulo talked about really passionately from being sort of 12 years old and watching the DVD, that's all he wanted to do was kind of rep- represent Cirque du Soleil in one of their shows. And then, you know, it kind yeah. of, it almost feels like it just fell upon your lap. Right. Well, I never actually heard about Cirque. Once yeah, yeah. I went to trampoline in because I knew that, well, once I started going to the Europeans in the world, there's a lot of tumblers there and things like that. And yeah, yeah. a lot of the tumblers came to Cirque and then there was trampolinists talking about coming to Cirque. So it was kind of just like word of mouth through wow. trampolining that I'd, I'd heard about Cirque. And then I started watching videos online and things like that. So, so once they contacted me yeah. to go to Cirque, they asked me to do teeterboard and I had no idea what it was. <gasps> yeah. And they were like, oh, you can watch this video. And they sent me the videos of Corteo. And I was watching the videos and I was like, there is no way I'm going to be able to do this. Yeah. Oh, I, I get that. Yeah. I get that. I mean, we were, we were sat in the crowd kind of almost front row watching and going, wow, you know, watching both of your, well, to be fair, watching most of the acts and going, how do you even begin to, to practice something like that? Or where do you get the nerve? And, but even listen to the journey, you talk about your auditions. It, it almost feels like you may have went in with very different mindsets. It sounds like maybe it's you, David, went in there a little bit more relaxed because it was something that was presented to you as an option rather than something that you had dreamt of as, of your whole life. Whereas Saulo, right. it sounds like you maybe went in there with maybe the added pressure of it, it being a dream that could kind of go one way or the other. Right. How yeah. was that first audition experience for you both? Well, for me, as you say, it was a dream. But at the time, I was already working with other companies. So it was like, 
thinking that there is other things to do apart from surf. Yeah, of course. But in the back of my head, it was always this child dream thinking, I want to be there. I want to be a solo because yeah. I I really want to be a solo act. Sir. I, and yeah. I have my idea in my head. Um, for, yeah, I, I had a lot of audition. I think I was the best in that audition. And I'm very humble. But in that audition, I was ready. I went yeah. with all the exercise, very ready. Uh, all my conditions that were, they took me as an example. So they put, me, they put me the first one to do it. The choreography, I did all the time in. I, I knew everything because I was very ready for that audition. Yeah, of course. And what, what about your your experience, David? Mine was very different. <laughs> <laughs> so originally, when I when I got the the offer to go for the audition, I wasn't going to go. Right. And then it was my brother-in-law. He was like, no, we're going to go. He's like, I'm going to take you. So he booked everything and he took me to, to France. Wow. Um, and then obviously I didn't really have any idea of what the audition was going to be like. Yeah. I just knew that there was going to be some artistic sessions there was going to be some recording of all of our tricks and obviously it's over two days so on one of the days they go over some dance choreography there's another one where it's kind of like it's more artistic where they give you some for example they gave us like a piece of foam like a block of foam from gymnastics yeah. and you have to play with that block of foam like you're a five-year-old child right did you just pick it up pieces yeah, you just have to kind of be super creative and right. you have to explain to them what that is without okay. explaining. Right. I like it because so, I can imagine my five-year-old probably just chewing it, picking it, <laughs> picking the bits off it. Yeah, yeah. yeah making a mess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it was it was really different and it was it was really fun actually. It really took me out of my comfort zone. It was stuff yeah. that I'd never even thought about doing before. So it was it was super wow. nice. And there was a lot of different people there. There was some men's artistic gymnasts. There was uh, trampolinists. There was um, some martial arts people there as well. Some free runners there. So in our audition, there was a, a lot of different different people doing different yeah. things. So it was kind because of interesting. I, th- I suppose having seen the previous show at Disney before Drawn to Life, and and having seen quite a few other Cirque du Soleil, the one at Disney seems to be a real kind of mix of talent whereas some of the other ones i've been to have been similar in what not not similar in what they do but you can see how they would cross over in the talents whereas when you go to the one at disney you know you've got people on unicycles you've got people on bmx's and certainly before the one that is now and it's it seems to be a whole mixed bag of talent whereas sometimes when you go to the other ones you can you can see how it would be such a competitive world Mm -hmm. and yeah so you've you've done this audition and i'm just trying in my head work out kind of you know, against other people who are, are wanting exactly the same position as you. And we get, I know there's a lot of different Cirque shows going on, but how quickly were you performing after those auditions for Cirque du Soleil? When, when did you get the call? I mean, for, for me, I mean, I did the audition. And then afterwards, I got a call to go to Montreal um, to do like a kind of training camp. Yeah. So I went there on June 19th, 2011. And then I was there until the December. Wow. Um, so it was a long period yeah, because yeah. obviously it was board, which was from scratch, um, which was really tough. I've I, I been mean, watching you guys. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine how hard that is. The, the first few, few weeks was a complete mess. I mean, it was like, I hated it at first. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then when you, get, when you go there, they basically treat it like a circus school. 
So you go to the headquarters, you live across the street from the headquarters, and you're there Monday to Friday. You do you start at like nine a.m. It's like nine to five every single yeah, day. Wow! And you do uh, you do your discipline. Uh, you do clown class. You do voice class. You do all kind of different classes like you would do in like a, a normal circus school. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and we were there for like six, seven months. And how yeah. many people left? How many people couldn't take it? Um, there was there wasn't many actually. There, there was a huge group of us at the time when we were there. There was a lot of uh, people there for different shows. So you had people for Totem, people for Corteo, right. Mister, and it's like a training camp. So yeah, that yeah. if anyone from those shows happens to get injured or leaves, they have a backlog of yeah, many of people course. who can do all those disciplines. So we we learned teeterboard. We also did a Chinese pole, uh, right. which is similar to Salos. Um, and we also did um, Rusia, which is like a, a wheel. Right. Um, like you spin around kind of yeah, like points. Yeah. Um, so we did a mixture of things wow. so that we were always ready to go to different, different shows if wow. we needed to. What about yourself, Saulo? When did you start working after the audition for Cirque? Uh, actually, it took me 10 years after. <laughs> no way, really? <laughs> yeah, because I wanted to be a solo. So I wanted to create something that um, allows me to be a solo. And yeah. I was, as I told you before, I was very lucky and I was in the right moment with the right person next to me because after that, they called me. They called me to do group acts, but I didn't want to do a group act. I knew that my opportunity will come later. Wow. And then because of many things that happened in my life, I discovered new products. What I'm doing now, I was the first one to do it. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine. I, I can't imagine many people doing what you do at all because it, it is so unique. Yeah, and it was by luck that I discovered that because I was not interested in pole dancing. But yeah. in 2011, when I started, I was one of the first months to, to try pole dance. Right. And it was kind of easy for me. Actually, the, the person that was training with me at the time he told me clearly, okay, Saulo, I think you find your discipline, your apparatus, because it's easy for you to create new things on that. And it was a normal pole dance, the pole dance that you find on the clubs. Yeah, yeah. And then, because I liked aerials, because I was doing silks before, I was like, what about if I hang this pole and I put it in the air and I tried to do things on it? And it worked really well. It was something new that never nobody did before. Yeah, yeah. So I worked on that. I created an act. And then I presented to the most important circus festival in the world. And Cirque, obviously, was there watching what is new. And in that year, they gave me the prize for innovation and act of the year. Wow. And that was my door to to work with them. But my opportunity came a few years later because they needed to fit that act in one of the shows with a new with a new creation, with a new with a new director that wanted that act. So what while I was happening, I was working in many companies and getting experience and getting more uh, more contracts around the world and as a freelance. And then in 2015, it was my 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 first event with Cirque. Right. And then in 2017, yeah, it was my first contract with Cirque with Michelle wow. Lapris. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. It's one of those things you're talking about, and you think. To go out solo, that's when when you all you've done is dream about is being part of Cirque du Soleil and then kind of the turn down a number of opportunities is 
well, it's, it's one incredibly brave, but also it's one that just shows the kind of your mentality and that you know that you've got something special that Cirque du Soleil will want. And I, I think it's it's quite commendable, if I'm honest with you. It, it's fantastic well, that you believe in yourself that much. I, I was not thinking that Cirque du Soleil wants that. Everything came like, yeah, I was ready. I was working. I was training, but everything came connected. I didn't yeah. think, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. So Cirque will buy in my in the back of my head, I always wanted to work for Cirque as a solo, but I was so busy creating that act and working yeah, yeah. with that with this act that I was not thinking, okay, I'm going to present it there for Cirque. I presented to a festival because they called me, and I knew it was the most important festival in yeah, the yeah. world of Cirque's art. And then everything come there, and they give me prizes, and they called me to all their festivals and all contracts. I was so busy that I needed to um, train three other guys to do my act wow. so we were four in the wall doing the same act so because the act was very demand yeah yeah of course i mean so when you look at sick to sell another and, and the fact that you're both in drawn life how much kind of artistic input do you have into the way your show runs because i can imagine there's a there's a team of people looking at your discipline david and saying right and you know there's a team of you doing it do you get a see in how that works or is there a director behind that directing it and with your solo because it's something that you created do you almost get an artistic license over that yeah for, for us we had we had um we had a kind of big team with with our discipline so when when they do the whole creation process they have like different um different concepts for, for each act. Yeah. So we were, we were presented our concept as the Elastin Men. Yeah. Um, and the concept is kind of, I mean, a lot of people see it as different things. So our makeup in the, in the act, we have like stretchy faces. So the way that our makeup is done on our face, we have like, it looks like our face is stretched. Yeah, yeah. But also back in the days when the original animators of Disney were together, um, they used to have elastic band fights at the end of, the week every Friday night, they used to have an elastic band fight with each other to keep the energy. <laughs> right, so that's kind of the resemblance that we have with the boys of, of our team is kind of a play fight, elastic fight. Yeah, yeah. But in our in our creation of our act, we had a lot of people. We had um, the creator of the choreography and the way that we move and our our characters. We had our acrobatic coach as well. We had two acrobatic coaches. Um, so there was there was a lot of people and also the main director as well. He was in and out kind of saying, yeah, I like this. I don't like this. Can we try this? So we had a lot of people involved in our yeah, act. Yeah. And, and our act is forever changing all the time too, still. Yeah. now uh, We find things that we like, we don't like. And yeah, so there was a lot of people involved in, in our act. Yeah, especially. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Does it work as well, though? Because obviously your, your, your act is fantastic, but is it sometimes too much where you think if the it was reduced in who had a voice it would we could kind of pull together even more as a group or is, are you quite happy just to have that that impression of, of other people in there as well and the opinion yeah i mean every, everyone really like work works together yeah, yeah. and takes the time to listen and you know i mean we we kind of feed off each other so some sometimes a situation we'll we'll find an idea and that that idea will just explode into many yeah. many different but then we just have to take a step back yeah, yeah. and go individually and just see what works and what doesn't yeah, yeah. work. And sometimes we'll spend a long, long time on one idea and it just, for some reason, it doesn't work. So yeah, then we yeah, have of course. to go back to the drawing board, start again. So especially in the creation process, we were there early. We we yeah. came in June for, for, our, for our creation. So 
we we had a long long time we also yeah, had yeah. one big concept that in the end just didn't really quite work right so wow. we had to kind of scrap that and completely redo the act again so for wow. us it's it's always changing so yeah, and also yeah. the, you know in a, in a group act you have people injured people sick yeah yeah of course every day is a different act for us <laughs> so, i can imagine and it keeps it interesting yeah yeah keeps you concentrating on stage yeah, yeah, it, it must be a huge trust thing as well for, for you guys. Like, so, Saulo, you've just got to put trust in yourself and your ability, and and obviously the, the swinging pencil. But with yeah. yourself, David, you're relying on your teammates to kind of be on the board at the end of it. And right, yeah. and like, like I said, every single every single jump is completely different. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it, it depends on the person's push. It depends on their timing of their jump. It depends on everything. Yeah, yeah. And so, in the act, we do a lot of calls for each other as well. Yeah. So if someone is a little bit forward, we call short. If someone is leaning a little bit backwards in the jump, we say back. Right. We shout out if someone is out in a trick and another person steps in and takes it. There's a lot of different variables. Yeah, the, the communication way. between you guys must be absolutely immense. Well, I mean, you could kind of yeah. tell on stage when you're doing it, but we can't hear everything that you're saying to each other. Right. So, it's, sometimes it's interesting. If the music is a little bit lower and if you're a little bit closer to the stage, yeah. you can hear everything that we, that we call. We heard the odd little thing, but the music was quite loud, so it, you know we didn't hear everything. But it, it was right. it was just interesting to watch. It was it was yeah, it was really mm. really good. So oh no, fantastic! And Saulo, what about yourself? How much input did you get into your routine? Well, you know, hearing all what he's saying, that's why I'm a solo. <laughs> because <laughs> I don't like to depend on other people when I do my thing. I'm very determined with my training, with my schedule, with what I have to do. So I create something, a product, and I bring it here. Of course, I uh, modify and I adapt it to the show that I'm doing. And I always do that with many, many shows that I do. And we have many meetings with the director of the show. But um, the good thing is I work with him before in another show. So we know right. each other. And we were working in another show. And he was already in the other show telling me about this show that we're doing now. Right. He was already putting the seat in my head, yeah, thinking yeah. about the new show what ideas you can bring, what you can do with this. And I had like two years thinking on on my own and created on my own before I joined the cast here in, in Drone to Life. So I was I had a lot of time to think about. So it was kind of ready when I came here. Because yeah, yeah. I'm my own coach and yeah, I'm, of course. I created the act so it was much easier for me. And yeah, we have a lot of meetings and he was giving me directions for the act and then I could modify, but I do that in every show that I go. Not, yeah. not only with Sir, in every show that I go, I always have uh, my uh, director that helped me with the adaptation for the for the show. But uh, I'm I'm deciding what I can do with the ball and what it works yeah. with the audience and and with the show. When when you first got to to Disney and they told you about the show, what was your impression of it? Because it's a story. I'll say no more. <laughs> <laughs> so when I mean I I signed my contract in like 2017. Oh, wow. And I, I'm, a, I'm a big Disney fan anyway. So as soon as I got the contract, I was like, yeah, sure. Because yeah. when I was a kid, I used to come here with my family all the time to right. Disney World. And I remember saying to my sister, I'm gonna work here one day. So for me, it was like kind of a dream to to work here. Yeah, yeah. Um and you know, they when you we went to Montreal. Uh, we were the first ones there. So they kind of took us around the headquarters of where they were doing everything. And they had rooms full of just different scenes, different 
so many different ideas just wow. posted on the wall. It's a bit like an animation studio, you know? Yeah, yeah. You walk in and you see every single scene of the movie and, you know, bits that they might cut or bits that they want to yeah, add yeah. and there's notes everywhere and there's different wow. images and it, it was it was amazing to see. And they, they've been doing this for years. They've yeah, been yeah. doing this concept for so long and so much effort has gone into it. I mean, I mean, the show was like hours long in the beginning. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I can you imagine. Know? But it was it was incredible. Just it was so it was so amazing to see how much had gone into it yeah. before we'd even started the creation process. Before wow. we'd even got into the theater or we'd got into the headquarters and even done any creation ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It, there was a whole whole nother team that had been working on it. So it was amazing to see. It's amazing. It's amazing here because I remember when they closed the old sector Soleil because it was, I think it was something to do with the contract that ended and they weren't sure how were they going to use that building. They, they weren't even sure if Cirque du Soleil was going to be there from what we'd heard from staff over there. Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you think of the almost, it was maybe it's like a three year turnaround, but it sounds from what you're saying that this had been in place for, for they kind of knew the contract was coming to an end and they were always planning to do this Disney theme, which is absolutely phenomenal. It's mind blowing, really. How much planning yeah. goes into something? I mean, imagine the planning going into something that big is huge, but I didn't really put down to a five-year plan, if I'm honest. Yeah, I remember the the first day that we went in there, and they were they were going to show us all the the things that were, that were going to be in the show. They had this little prototype of the stage, right? Tiny little thing, and it was like you know when they do like a new building and yeah, they have yeah. like people like this. And it was just it was just there on the table, and it was wow. it was so so amazing because I'd seen Lanuba before. So I knew the stage of Lanuba before that. Yeah, yeah. It was just it was amazing to see. And then they showed us like a video of all the different things that were going to be in the show and they're like bit by bit. Yeah, yeah. Even though it wasn't videos of the actual yeah, yeah. little snippets here and there of different things. And it was just like oof. Wow. It, yeah, it was a lot to take in in one yeah, in one in one day. So I can imagine, yeah. I can imagine. And um, what was it like then opening night, first time performing drawn? Well, drawn to life. Sorry, what was what was like that first time shown? Well, you know, we had the pandemic, <laughs> and we supposed to open twenty of March of 20, 2020. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So three days before we were doing the dress rehearsal for friends and cast members, and three hours before we had to cancel the show because it was wow. the beginning of the pandemic and everything everything was closing down. Wow. So. And that was after six months of creation. So it was almost the end of the creation where we are exhausted and we yeah. just want to open the show and have a show. And then we just closed three days before, three hours before and three days before the big opening. Wow. And the big premiere. So it was uh it was difficult. It was difficult. And then 20, I think it was 22 months after. Yeah. yeah. We, we opened the show again with a lot of rehearsals and creation because a lot of people were well, not able to train during the pandemic yeah, yeah. for specialties. And that was a that was a big thing, a big day, a big day. I remember that day. I was very exhausted. I was very tired. But the day that we took the bow, it was very special. I felt yeah. very special today. Yeah, I can imagine. And there's still a lot of protocols too because of COVID. It was still kind of. You know, it was towards the end of the pandemic, kind yeah, of, but yeah. it, it was still a lot of protocols. We still had masks on stage, and wow, it was it was a lot to take. It was a lot to take in. Wow. So, and at least we were doing a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is phenomenal. Well, I'm glad that you've you've pulled through it because it is an absolutely phenomenal show. Kind of to tie it all up, what would be your one piece of advice to someone who wants to maybe follow in your shoes and be a performer? Uh, this is a question that everybody asks me in all the interviews, and it's, it's very difficult because it's very personal. Yeah, it is. But determination for me is a key. Determination. Yeah. If you want to do something, you have to find a way to get to that. Even if it looks impossible, many times you will feel like, okay, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm not strong enough. Maybe I'm not flexible enough. But it's normal to have that feelings and it's normal to have this thought sometimes. But if you have determination, if you really want it, I think you will you will go over it and then you will find a way to get your goal. Oh, that's fantastic. And what about yourself, David? What's your piece of advice? I think for me, the, the biggest thing is that you need to accept failure. You're, you're always going to fail along the way. And... Failure is the the biggest learning curve of becoming the best. You know, you have to make all these failures and small things. Otherwise, you'll never learn on how to to be the best. I love it. That's fantastic. Really. Gentlemen, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Hobby of a Lifestyle. It's been an absolute pleasure. And learning about your journey to drawn to life has been fantastic. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, oh, no, again. 100% we'll will be over there well if not next year the year after definitely nice okay thank you for listening to another episode of hobby of a lifestyle stay safe stay well and we'll see you next time